Hello and welcome to Global Nashville with Carl Dean from the Tennessee World Affairs Council, where former Nashville Mayor Carl Dean talks to community leaders about their perspectives on global affairs and the things that make Nashville a global city. I'm Patrick Ryan. Tonight we have a special episode featuring Belmont University President Gregory Jones. Mayor Dean, good to see you after a break. Welcome President Jones. Thank you, good to be here. Uh, I'll, I'll mention uh, our thanks to uh, our guest hosts uh, during uh, the break. Uh, we had uh, Natural Area Chamber of Commerce President Ralph Schultz interviewing Butch Spurdown, the Visitor and uh, Convention Center uh, boss. And we had Matt Kisber from Silicon Ranch uh, interviewing uh, Governor Phil Bredesen. So we thank uh, Ralph and Matt and their guests for being with us uh, over the past uh, couple of weeks. Uh, tonight, we uh, were uh, pleased to welcome uh, President Jones from uh, Belmont University. Known for his entrepreneurial leadership and fundraising ability, uh, Dr. Greg Jones served as the longtime Dean of Duke Divinity School from 1997 to 2010, and again from 2018 until becoming Belmont's president on June 1st of this year. Uh, between the um, 2010 and 2018, he served in a variety of roles, including vice president and vice provost of global strategy at Duke University, and also as provost and executive president of Baylor University. In addition, he has served in advisory and strategic roles with several foundations and educational institutions in the United States, as well as in Armenia. We can uh, suggest that you take a look at his complete bio at uh, tnwac.org. Uh, the events section of the website uh, and also on the belmont.edu uh, uh, website. Uh, Belmont uh, will be celebrating President Jones' inauguration next week, so congratulations in advance on that. Uh, let me uh, conclude my remarks by thanking Belmont University uh, while we're talking with President Jones this evening for our great partnership. It's been 12 years since the Tennessee World Affairs Council uh, brought the ambassador of Kazakhstan to campus at Belmont as part of our Distinguished Visiting Speaking Program. Uh, since then, we've expanded the relationship to include our community and education outreach efforts. Belmont has been a wonderful host to our office and programs, and we couldn't be in better hands than the faculty, staff, and students of beautiful Belmont University. Lastly, let me remind you, you're invited to become members of the World Affairs Council or give your support through a donation. The council is a unique public service a nonpartisan educational association that works to improve understanding of the world. Visit tnwac.org to join or to donate. Mayor Dean, floor is yours, sir. Thank you, Pat. It's good to be uh, back with everybody. And um, President Jones, welcome to um, welcome to Nashville and Thank welcome you. to the show. Um, Thank you. Let me just say, as a you know, I as mayor. Uh, I think one of the most significant things that occurred, and it was actually started before I became mayor, without doubt, was the uh, rising to prominence of Belmont as a national university, but also as a just a major player, I think, in the education systems here in Tennessee. Uh, Belmont has been a tremendous um, asset for the city, um, whether it's the work Belmont did with helping us with the flood response, whether it's 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 its growth and its addition of uh, of, of more graduate programs, 
um, its positive um, attitude toward the city and its cooperation. Uh, Belmont has just been a great citizen. I mean, I, I say that without, you know, bottom of my heart, and totally sincere. Um, I have nothing but admiration for Belmont. So I'm glad, I'm glad you're here. All I've heard is great things about you. And let me just start with um, asking you, I mean, you became head of the university in June of this year, is that right? Yes. All right. And tell, tell, let's tell the, our, our viewers um, your background, where, you know, where were you born and what was your education and what were your interests? Um, and I'll ask some more specific questions. Sure. Well, thank you. It's a great honor to be here and it's a great honor to be president of Belmont. And uh, I just love the relationship between Belmont and the city of Nashville. And the, uh, somebody was telling me today that they think that the growth of Nashville over the last uh, 20 years, including your time as mayor, has been paralleled by the growth of Belmont in the same period of time. And uh, I think there's a lot of wonderful synergy. Um, I actually was born in Nashville. Uh, and uh, then we moved from here when I was six months old. So I've been joking that I was born here and now living here again, but I haven't yet lived a full year in the city. Uh, we'll get there uh, relatively soon. Most of my growing up years uh, were in Chicago and then Denver, Colorado. Um, and uh, went to did my undergraduate work out in Denver. Then most of the last 40 years have been in North Carolina. Uh, I went there, I went to Duke for Divinity School, did my doctoral work there, uh, lived in Baltimore for nine years uh, at uh, Loyola University in Maryland, came back as uh, an administrator at Duke, which is what I've done for most of the last uh, 25 years, uh, did, went to business school as well as uh, Divinity School, uh, which is always an interesting uh, uh, combination that people are curious about uh, and uh, have loved being in university leadership roles uh, at Duke, at Baylor, and now uh, at, uh, at Belmont. Well, tell me about um, Divinity School and why Divinity School and, and how has that sort of influenced your career? Well, my, uh, the Methodist ministry is my family's business. I'm a fifth generation uh, Methodist minister. Uh, my wife is a Methodist minister. Uh, and so it's deep in our, uh, deep in our bones. Uh, I actually went to business school trying to avoid the family business of ministry. Um, my father was uh, an educator and a former dean of Duke Divinity School as well. So I followed in his footsteps. So uh, he, why was your dad in Nashville or why was your family in Nashville when you were born? My dad did uh, all three of his degrees at Vanderbilt and uh, he was head of the Methodist student movement in the late 1940s and early 1950s. Uh, actually, uh, uh, when Jim Lawson uh, was uh, vice president. My, and Jim Lawson followed my father as president. And then they were classmates at Vanderbilt Divinity School uh, back in the 50s. And my father edited a magazine called Motive Magazine that was sent out to college students all across the country. And so uh, he did his doctoral work as well as his divinity and undergrad at Vanderbilt. Okay. And then as you went through school, you and your undergraduate work was in Colorado. Yeah. Where was that? At the University of Denver. And I did my undergrad there. And then I did uh, a master's in public policy and administration at the business school at the University of Denver before going to Divinity School at Duke and doing my PhD at Duke. Are you a skier? I used to be. Don't have good enough knees anymore to be, but I loved growing up. Uh, there was a train you could drive, you could take from Denver to Winter Park. 
and my parents would love to drop me off because it meant a day they were free uh, to do their own thing. And uh, I was happy going up on the train to Winter Park and skiing all day and then cut, taking the train back. And when, when you took the public policy course in Denver, what was your thoughts on that? Were you thinking of, a, of working in government or? I was interested in that. I was interested in business. I was just trying to think through what kind of leadership roles uh, I was intrigued uh, by in those days. Uh, when I was in the public policy and administration program was actually the first year of the Reagan administration and there weren't many jobs uh, in Washington because uh, there were mostly cutbacks uh, happening in 1981 and 82. Okay, and then you go to Divinity School at Duke. Yeah. And, and what was your, what did you study there? Well, I was really interested in uh, questions of, uh, of ethics was really the driver, which I'd been interested in even in my uh, public policy program. And I got very interested in uh, the formation of character and what I characterize as the formation of wise judgment, which uh, as I reflected on people I admired, they, they seemed to be people who exercised really good judgment. And I was curious what created people like that and how, how they got formed. And I was very interested in Aristotle's Nicomachean ethics, which really emphasized themes of character and friendship and virtue. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, that's, that's fascinating. And, and when you left divinity school, you, you did what? I did doctoral work uh, at Duke um, and wrote my dissertation on uh, Aristotle and Thomas Aquinas on uh, formation and moral judgment. And uh, then out of there, I got a job teaching at a Jesuit institution in Baltimore, Loyola University in Maryland, uh, which was a fascinating experience to, to teach and to, uh, I was teaching undergraduates. I became the first non-Catholic chair of the theology department and I directed an interdisciplinary center for the humanities there and uh, then was invited to come back and serve as Dean of the Divinity School at Duke in 1997. Wow, so you have a very, um, I'm using the word right, very ecumenical background. Yes, yes. Work in Catholic schools. Um, and so you were at, Divinity, you were at, the, the, at, at Duke's Divinity School and <clears throat> how, how long did you stay there? I was there, my first time uh, as Dean uh, was for 13 years. And during that time, we developed a lot of international partnerships and uh, uh, I found myself uh, really uh, finding as a, as a kind of entrepreneurial spirit and a builder and loved building collaborations. We established collaborations with the medical school, the nursing school, the law school, the business school, school of public policy, and just love those kind of interactions, which is what led me then to move into a role overseeing Duke's uh, global strategy. We were beginning a, a campus in, outside of Shanghai, China in Kunshan and also it started a medical school campus in Singapore and we're doing work in global health and business in both India and in Dubai. And so I was traveling around to a lot of those countries during that time. So in terms of global strategy, was it um, both, um, I guess, expanding opportunities for Duke students to go to school in the Middle East or in China and other, other places, but was also bringing in students from, um, other parts of the world? Yeah, it was both and, and it was really trying to say, 
how do we, you know, in, in education, how do we help broaden international understanding, international collaboration? Uh, it was a, you know, back in 2010, when I moved into that role, it was a very different time. There was a lot more optimism about those international partnerships and relationships. And uh, there was a great sense that, uh, that students could really benefit, whether you were thinking about business or law or medicine or health, all of these were areas where uh, having a, a greater sense of international relationships would matter immensely for your work, as well as for helping to make the world a better place and perhaps also a safer place. Right. And so after that position, you did what? I, well, I, I had a brief period where I went through a, a strange uh, illness that was called migraine-associated vertigo that was actually, they think, caused by too much international travel. Uh, and uh, so then I did work on, uh, I developed Duke's Innovation Entrepreneurship Certificate uh, for undergraduates. And that's when I was recruited to go to Baylor uh, to uh, serve as executive vice president and provost. And I got there right as the sexual assault scandal hit. And uh, all of the resources that have been set aside for uh, innovation and collaboration went to settlements and legal fees. And uh, so Duke recruited me back and I thought that's where I was gonna be. Started back doing some- as, as Dean of a Divinity School? At first I was just back on the faculty and I was actually doing work with a family foundation in Armenia, uh, a couple that, uh, had made a lot of money in investment banking and were wanting to rebuild Armenia post-Soviet occupation. And I uh, was doing that when I got asked to come back and fix some problems at the Divinity School. Uh, and so I came back a second time as Dean. I was doing that for the last three years until uh, Belmont invited me to come to Nashville and to serve as president. So when you were at Baylor, I mean, you were really at that point high up in total university management or leadership yeah at that point and then back at duke and then the next i think step obviously would be to become the the leader of the university what you're doing now at belmont yeah um so what what are your thoughts about taking a job at belmont and coming to nashville oh i couldn't be more excited uh, uh the combination of belmont and the momentum that it has as a university and the dynamism of nashville as a city is just an incredible combination uh, I was talking to some uh, a prospective student a couple of weeks ago who's uh, uh, was visiting Belmont. I know her parents; they're from Texas. And I said to the young woman, uh, "I said, what interests you about Belmont?" And she said, "Nashville." And I thought, "Hey, I'll take it." You know, the combination of the two is a is an extraordinary opportunity. And uh, I just think that uh, the, that momentum and energy particularly coming off of COVID and all of the stresses that uh, we've been through over the last 18 months to see both a city and a university that's looking to the future with vibrancy and excitement is, uh, is really energizing. How big of a challenge is it for you this year, like uh, your first year as president? Um, what, how, is, what is, how much is COVID part of your daily life? Oh, it's very much a part of every day. Um, you know, when we got here in June, we had that brief moment where it seemed before the Delta variant kind of erupted, where it looked like it wasn't going to be as big of, a, of an issue. And then with the Delta variant, we've been uh, having to assess and reassess and monitor. So we look at, uh, you know, uh, testing and symptom tracking and uh, 
you know, making judgments about masks and uh, all those sorts of things that I have a task force that meets at least once a week, if not twice a week. And they give me regular updates. And, uh, you know, fortunately, we've been able to keep our uh, positive case count very low. And so it's worked out very well. But, you know, we're also looking at uh, how do you do social distancing events, talking about, you know, athletic events, do we need to, you know, have masks, indoor events, all those sorts of questions. Uh, I pay way more attention to public health than I ever thought I would uh, as a university president. Yeah. And what's your sense? Uh, I mean, one, I think one of the things from my time as mayor, and um, I'm sure this applies to everybody after me and, um, and probably the folks before me, that, you know, one of the great things about Belmont for me was you were always growing. Um, in the depths of the recession, I was mayor 07, 08, 09 during the, the Great Recession. Uh, Belmont was still building dorms. It was building new schools. Um, and that really has, you know, continued for forever. Yeah. Since then, what's your sense of how is the school going to, what's the school going to be like 10 years from now? That's a great question. I think we'll continue to grow. We announced uh, last fall the launch of a new college of medicine that's now named for uh, distinguished Nashvilleian uh, Tom Ferris Jr. Um, and we hope to enroll our first class of students in 2023. It's a huge opportunity uh, for Belmont and I think it'll be an important uh, uh, component of Nashville as a healthcare city uh, going forward. We're also looking at expanding, as you mentioned earlier, graduate programs and we can do some of that online and hybrid uh, kinds of programs. We'll continue to emphasize our role in the music uh, business uh, in Nashville with that. We also announced a data collaborative uh, about a month ago uh, that I think is really important for the development of technology uh, and, and its role in Nashville with Amazon, with Oracle. And if you look at just the large companies throughout Nashville, they're all hungry for people who have data skills. And, you know, we're probably not going to be the the main institution that's training the coders, but we can train the, the people who are, are, are interpreters and users of data and using it wisely. And so I'm really excited about those synergies with Nashville. And I think there's opportunities for continuing growth and dynamism. If you look at music and the arts, you know, we acquired a, uh, the O'More College of Architecture and Design. We acquired the Matt Watkins College of Art. Music business has long been a, a core dimension of our work at Belmont, healthcare and technology. I think the synergies with Nashville will continue to develop and be enhanced going forward. Yeah, yeah. Um, given your background, particularly your experiences at Duke in terms of global strategies and reaching out around the world for Duke students, but also inviting people in, um, what are your thoughts about Belmont in the world? Where does, um, are you going to follow a similar strategy or do you see, how do you see that, that role? Well, I think it's really important. And, uh, you know, I'm just back uh, about uh, 10 days uh, ago, I was in Belfast, uh, where, you know, Belfast and Nashville are sister cities and was over there to sign an MOU with the Queens University Belfast. And we've had this relationship developing. We do student exchanges, faculty exchanges. And one of the things that struck me was, uh, just how important the opportunities are when you think about the roles that Queens 
is trying to play in the city of Belfast, whether it's on issues of reconciliation or economic development, uh, data, uh, the arts. They're very similar to the role Belmont is trying to play in Nashville. Right. And so to have that partnership deepen, I think is really important. And I think that, uh, you know, we've got good relationships uh, through our College of Business with, uh, with other institutions. And I think it's really important that we deepen those, those ties. I think Nashville's growth uh, over the last 20 years from being, you know, a Southern city to a global city uh, is extraordinarily important. And I think it's very important that places like Belmont alongside Vanderbilt and other educational institutions have that same international focus. I also think it's really important just not for, um, for jobs and for vocation. I think it's also important for helping make the world a better place to rediscover those international connections. Yeah. Well, I'm, it's great to hear about uh, Queens College in Belmont. Um, I think Belfast was our city's first sister city. It goes back oh, is that right? to Mayor Boner. I think it's the very first one, if I'm not I think I'm right on that. And I, I visited there a couple times. And uh, I don't know if you heard if you, or if you went to the pub, uh, Ian Brick, who was a, a great citizen in Nashville, passed away several years ago, but um, had a wonderful career here, but also was a, a citizen of Belfast and uh, really brought these two cities together. And Belfast is a you know, I'm sure you remember this. I mean, when I got out of law school and I and I toured Europe a little bit with uh, my soon-to-be wife, um, we went to Belfast and people were carrying machine guns and and the, the turnaround there in terms of bringing people oh. together and changing things is remarkable. And it's yes. not the, kind of the hottest, interesting cities in Europe. Uh, did you get to see the Titanic Museum when you were there? We did. It's incredible. And you know, we were there. My wife and I were there 20 years ago. I had done work, uh, uh, published some books on forgiveness. And so I was there in uh, the fall of 2001, shortly after 9-11, uh, to give some lectures on forgiveness. And this was right in some of the most tense times of the troubles. Yeah. And in those days, uh, you know, everybody, not only were there machine guns, and we stayed in uh, uh, the Europa Hotel, which was the most bombed hotel in all of Europe. And, you know, coming right off 9-11, it was anxiety-inducing, and you just felt like this city could crumble at any moment. And to be there now and to see the Titanic Museum and where Game of Thrones was filmed and the dynamism of the city and the energy of the young people, you know, it, it's very similar uh, to the kind of dynamism you feel in, in Nashville. You know, I jokingly say, you know, that when I'm downtown on Fifth and Broadway, I feel like I'm about 140 years old because everybody else is 25. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Um, well, you know, I always they were building the Titanic Museum when I was mayor, so I have not seen it completed. It's extraordinary. I, I always remember what everybody said is that when the Titanic left Belfast, it was in good shape. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. Patrick mentioned this in his uh, introduction of you, and I would be remiss if I didn't um, say my own thank you to Belmont for all that you have done for the World Affairs Council. I mean, we would not have been uh, able to, I guess, continue to exist or at least do as well as we've done uh, without Belmont's you know, giving us office space and um, 
event space and just been a, a, a huge partner. And I think that's been a, a very forward, not only because it's beneficial to us, but it's, it's beneficial to the city. I think it's important that Nashville have a World Affairs Council that is um, dynamic and active because Nashville is, as you've alluded to, it's an international city. It's a city yeah. of great diversity. It's a city with a fantastic future. And the future is going to be international and the future is going to be diverse. And we need to seize that. And I appreciate all you've done to help make that happen. Well, thanks. That's a, it's a great partnership. And I think that, uh, you know, thinking about what the, the, the ways in which the World Affairs Council brings the ambassadors and other international leaders to Belmont is, is eye-opening for our students and for our faculty. And to be able to, to see those connections is, is very important. And, you know, um, it's, it's the kind of seed planting that is so important for enabling uh, people to discover new opportunities and to, to see the world. You know, one of the things, my father died at a relatively young age, but one of the things my mom told me well, she was so glad that she and my dad had decided to travel while they were still young and they took me on trips. And so I grew up traveling internationally and my wife and I did that with our kids. And now when I see my, my middle son is an investment banker and he's, he's doing international work all the time. And you know the, the comfort level of, different, of embracing and engaging different cultures is so important and the college years are a really pivotal time to be able to learn about different cultures and to engage different cultures and to, to develop that, those relationships. I think it's just extraordinarily important. And you know, I've been saddened by the kind of uh, uh, attitude that we've seen arise in the last few years of much more suspicion of international relationships and partnerships, not only in the US, but that's Brexit. and. Uh, the kind of resurgence of a kind of narrow nationalism that I don't think is good for anybody, much less for the whole world. Yeah. Well, I do think Nashville and the universities are a huge part of this. I mean, Nashville stands as a symbol of, you know, if you're going to succeed, you're going to be diverse. And if you're going to succeed, you're going to be reaching out to people and being friendly and inclusive and all of that. Yeah. Um, Pat, do you have any... Um, Questions? Anything I forgot to ask or? Well, uh, Carl, we we've, we've got a couple of come in uh, from our Facebook uh, folks. Uh, let me uh, first let you all know that the Braves are up two nothing in the uh, the first leadoff home run. So so all there right. is that uh, the important things. Uh, thanks, Pre thanks, President Jones. Um, one question uh, from our Facebook uh, group: Belmont always seems to be ranked high nationally for study abroad, study abroad participation. What would you tell students considering study abroad, both in terms of what they get out of global travel? And I think you've alluded to that to some extent uh, and what concerns might exist in the age of COVID? Well, the, the latter is just an ongoing reality that we have to be monitoring the ability to, to travel to uh, these countries and what the rules are within those countries, which are uh, dynamics that we're having to uh, to wrestle with, with all of our partnerships, but uh, our study abroad programs are very important and they, um, and we love uh, having them both during the academic year, as well as during our Maymester. And I think that's really important. You know, it's kind of like what I say to people about learning a foreign language. If you only speak one language, you don't really speak any languages. 
And so when you really uh, learn to live in a different culture, uh, you, you begin to ask questions about that you've taken for granted in your home culture, whether that's, you know, uh, driving on, a, on the other side of the road in some cultures, or whether it's the, the patterns of eating and how people congregate or how people navigate time. You know, I sometimes joke that uh, the U.S. is uh, the, the only really uh, big country that doesn't practice siesta, that uh, all civilized peoples of the world have a siesta in the afternoon, which enables you to be much more vibrant in the late afternoon and evening. Uh, and so, you know, discovering that, uh, you know, if you're in Greece, for example, or in Mexico, um, the whole rhythm of a day just is different and those, uh, those dynamics. But, you know, one of the things, having spent a lot of time in Armenia, I just learned um, both the, the incredible history of a people uh, that, uh, you know, goes back thousands of years uh, and has had incredible vi vitality during the Silk Road era. They were kind of like Switzerland in that the Caucasus region. Um, but then also what the Soviet era meant in terms of oppression and suffering. Yep. And you begin to understand both the resiliency of a culture, but also its complex history. And that's the kind of thing that you can study about in a book, but it's much different when you're actually living and breathing and tasting and experiencing the, the rhythms of a, of a day and of a month. And, uh, it, it's profoundly shaped my imagination in ways that it couldn't have happened if I'd only ever spent time in the United States. The uh, next question, uh, uh, what can we do to restore optimism in gl global relationships after recent years where being called a globalist was a dirty word? You talked about that a little bit, but uh, I think it's, it's become a, uh, uh, a political uh, issue to some extent. Yeah, I think, uh, it, and that's too bad because I think that, uh, I mean, I actually was talking to some people uh, when we were in Northern Ireland about the consequences of Brexit. And now it's just becoming uh, something that they're trying to figure out how to undo. Um, and that's, it's, it's uh, very hard to undo something when you break off ties. Um, and I would say that, you know, what I've been saying both within the United States as well as internationally is to cultivate unlikely friendships. We're spending too much time hunkering down with people who already think like us uh, and to cultivate unlikely friendships in a variety of ways uh, within the United States, whether that's people who are, uh, have different political uh, views or economic views. Um, but I think it's especially important that we develop and we can do it on Zoom and, you know, one of the things we've learned in the pandemic is how to do things with technology and, you know, to have uh, engagements with people from different cultures and to think about the questions they're asking and, and, and even to understand the perceptions they have of the United States uh, and what's going on in our culture. I've long been a reader of The Economist magazine, partly because I get a perspective of how England was seeing the United States rather than just how the United States sees itself. Um, and, and you also get a much better picture of what's going on in other countries. And that's an important perspective uh, for us. One of the things I admired so much, I'm a big uh, reader of presidential biographies and I've been fascinated by Abraham Lincoln. One of the things that was interesting is that in the 1930s, 
uh, when he was a practicing lawyer, before he went into politics, he subscribed to newspapers from the American South because he wanted to understand on the South's own terms its attitudes towards slavery. Well, you know, in our time, we need to be reading newspapers and, and publications. It's a lot easier online than to order them by a Pony Express uh, in, uh, in Lincoln's day in Illinois. But to get a perspective on how other people see us and how we engage others. I remember the first time I traveled uh, to Eastern Europe and uh, Dallas was a TV show that was so popular. When they found out I lived out uh, in Colorado where Dynasty and was set and Dallas uh, in Texas, they thought that was an accurate reflection of American life. And I just thought, oh my goodness, you know, um, can I correct a few impressions you have of our life? But we have the same kinds of stereotypes about other cultures when we don't actually engage uh, the people there. I was always more of a dynasty fan than Dallas. And uh, <laughs> I'm disappointed to hear that wasn't what uh, Denver was really like. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I had a different Dallas experience. I lived over in Naples, Italy for four years in the late 70s and never heard of the show. And on our way back, uh, we, we took the ship back. My wife and I kept hearing everybody uh, saying, who shot JR? And we were like, who the heck is JR? Uh, and and, and I'm, I'm sure we're losing half our audience now, but that's okay. Um, uh, President Jones, one last question. What country that you've never been to uh, would you like to visit and why? Oh, that's a great question. Well, I've been privileged to travel to an awful lot of countries. I think um, the realistic, assess the realistic answer would be Egypt. Uh, I was scheduled to go there when it all of a sudden became unsafe uh, a couple of years ago, and so we canceled our uh, trip. But uh, um, that I, I would love to see the pyramids and the culture and uh, travel on the Nile. I've been to the source of the Nile in Uganda, but not to the to the mouth uh, in Egypt. So Egypt would be the most realistic country, but although it's really a continent rather than a country, I'd love someday to go to Antarctica. I just think uh, it's it's a really uh, fascinating uh, place. And, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, reading about Ernest Shackleton and the expedition uh, that he led. And I would love someday to, to be able to go to Antarctica. But uh, Egypt would be the country I haven't been to that I'd most like to realistically go to. Well, that's, that's a great answer. I'll, I'll mention that the uh, our network of World Affairs Councils, we have one, the Philadelphia Council, that is our travel council, and they have a terrific program to Egypt in February, and they've ah. uh, they've invited yours truly to lead the uh, the delegation. So if you'd, Wonderful. you'd like a brochure on a trip to Egypt, I know, I know how to fix you up. Um, <laughs> that's great. That's it for, uh, for our audience questions. Carl, uh, back to you for any Closing comments with uh, President Jones. Any events you want to promote, Pat, while you're... Well, yeah, I'll, I'll uh, close with that. But uh, anything... Uh... Pat, there is a question I see in the Q&A that just asked my thought on the decline in the number of functioning democracies worldwide. Ah. I would just say that, uh, you know, one of the things we've learned in the U.S. is that democracy is a lot more fragile than we thought it was uh, you know, 10 or 20 years ago. I remember when I was in South Africa a good bit in the 90s as they were transitioning uh, to uh, the new South Africa with Nelson Mandela. 
And I remember thinking rather naively, well, if they just knew what we knew in the United States, they'd get it all sorted out because it's very straightforward how you have free and fair elections and how you have a sustainable democracy. Well, you know, I'm now uh, a lot more chastened than I was. And I think one of the things that we need to take much more seriously, and this is part of why I'm an educator, is that the logic of a, of a functioning democracy depends on the, the presumption of an educated citizenry. And we have not done a good job of educating citizens to be citizens. And that's part of that whole formation and character uh, that I think is, is so important. And that's one of the things when I was working in Armenia and they were trying to, to develop a functioning democracy. And the, the couple I was working with uh, were committing to invest almost all of their resources uh, to help build that democratic culture. And one of the things they said that was crucial well, the, the, what they said was crucial was to focus on education, on sustainable business, on healthcare, and on faith and culture. And when you build all of those things at the intersections, you begin to see what sustains a democratic culture. And unfortunately, I think in the US, in England, in France, in the Netherlands, you see the fragility of what's at stake in preserving a democracy, even in previously pretty stable democracies. And I think a lot of that has to do with taking too many things for granted and not developing what we really need to be developing. It's really kind of a humbling thing. And it, it certainly um, behooves us all to protect our democracy and to understand it's how fragile it can be and, and the need for us to nurture it. Um, yeah. I, I talk a lot now in, in my own context of just what do we need to do to help reweave the social fabric? Yeah. And, you know, I think about, and I've been talking about in our country, you know, when Teddy Kennedy died, there were so many stories about all the bills that were passed that were either Hatch Kennedy or Kennedy Hatch. Now, Orrin Hatch was a conservative Republican from Utah, Teddy Kennedy, a liberal Democrat from Massachusetts but they cared about passing legislation that improved people's lives. Those are the kind of unlikely friendships that I think we need to be cultivating to help reweave the social fabric. I think you see that in lots of cultures where old enmities can surface and, and flare up in, in really scary ways. And we need to be nurturing that. One of the things I admire so much about Belfast is seeing how much progress they've made over the last two decades. Uh, in trying to heal the wounds that were really uh, developed during the troubles. But you know, now they're in a position where as they're trying to deal with the EU and Brexit kinds of dynamics where all that feels very fragile all over again. And you realize you just can't take anything for granted. You've got to really pay attention to the hard work of preserving and sustaining a free and fair democracy. Well, let me just say we're, we're out of time. Um, but I, again, thank you to Belmont. Thank you to, to you for coming to Nashville and leading this great institution. We wish you all the luck in the world. And I know that we will meet again and have you on the show again. So um, thanks. Great to be with you. It's more of a farewell than a goodbye. And Pat, <laughs> your final words. Thanks, uh, Mayor Dean, President Jones. Thanks so much for uh, being on tonight. Uh, we're, I really enjoyed hearing your comments about global engagement and I'm looking forward to sharing this program uh, uh, with our uh, other, other viewers. Um, 
just a reminder, tomorrow evening at 5.30 p.m., we are uh, featuring our international career panel, part two for October, Inter Women in International Business. It's a Zoom webinar. It will be on at 5.30 p.m. Central Time, 6.30 Eastern Time. Uh, we're doing that in cooperation with the Center for Global Engagement at UTK. On uh, Tuesday, the 2nd of November, we will be welcoming the Ambassador of Japan, uh, His Excellency Koji Tomita, uh, to Nashville with an event at Belmont University, a global town hall. Uh, you can join us there at 6 p.m. Central Time on Tuesday, November 2nd. Please register for that event at tnwac.org on our calendar and uh, keep uh, our calendar in view and subscribe to our newsletter so you know what's uh, coming up at the World Affairs Council. We are working hard to bring you uh, programs. Uh, hopefully they'll be uh, almost as good as the program tonight with Mayor Dean and uh, President Jones. Uh, again, uh, thanks to everybody who came out tonight and uh, everybody have a good evening. Goodbye.